And this morning, I wanted to look again at the life of Moses, you know, who's really a, a role model for us as the church, because our goal is to walk with the Lord and to have that communion relationship, to know him, to be pleasing to him, to be a man after his heart, formed and created for fellowship with our creator. You know, and there's some past uh, meetings I was listening to with our, our founder, uh, Dr. Bailey, and he was sharing in, in it how God was giving him some visions of Moses, and he was just kind of beholding Moses in, in vision form, and he said he was so struck at the power of Moses and his ministry that, that he had, and, and how God created him, you know, not just to, to be the lawgiver and to lead Israel and so forth, but he created him to do that, but then to also to stand before him for all eternity, along with Elijah. You know, and, and something else he said, and, and he said that, you know, he was just kind of, the Lord was speaking to him uh, a word that how Moses is a role model for the church of the last days. A lot of times, it's not like we dismiss Moses, but we look at Moses and say, well, he was the Old Testament, and so we're looking for the New Testament. But, you know, the Lord was speaking to Pastor Bailey Moses is the role model for the church in the last days. Why is that? Because the church is going to be a vessel of glory. And the church is going to display the glory of God in a way the world has never seen. You know, when Paul's talking about the glory of the church and uh, of how God is going to manifest himself in the church, he only refers to one person and compares that to one person, and that's Moses. All right, we can read about that in, in 2 Corinthians 3. In verse 11, he says, For if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious, seeing then we have such hope. We use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. You know, that glory that was done away with was pretty powerful wasn't it, right? Significant for that glory to shine from his face. Now, we know that here in Florida, it can be pretty sunny, right? The sunshine can be bright. Um, I basically never go anywhere without my sunglasses. I don't, I don't it's so bright, I don't like squinting. Um, and especially when you're driving, I, I always have sunglasses with me some, wherever I'm going. But can you imagine looking at someone and it's not the light of the sun you're squinting at, but it's the light coming off their face. And you're like, oh, oh I need my sunglasses back on to look at you. You know, of course, they didn't have sunglasses back then, so they made Moses cover his face because of the brightness of the glory of God. And, you know, that glory was the residue or the effect of going within the veil of the tabernacle and beholding the Lord and sitting before him and inquiring of him in his tabernacle, that communion relationship radiated from him with an intensity that we have not yet seen in the church. 
And Paul said this also in, in 2 Corinthians 3.7. He said, But if the ministry of death written and engraved with stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was done away with, how shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? We haven't really seen the level of intensity in the New Testament church that we've seen upon Moses. You know, I mean, there have been some powerful touches. You know, maybe in church history, God's come upon someone that's radiated his glory in a similar way. You know, but, but in these isolated drops here and there and touches of God. But we have not yet seen a manifestation of that level of glory upon the church corporate, at least not yet. And, you know, the church in Scripture is actually representative or typified by the moon. You know, we're to be a reflection. We're not the source of light, but we're a reflection of it. And so just like the moon reflects the sun, and sometimes that moon can be bright, right? Sometimes you can walk out at night and it's like, I don't even need a flashlight. The moon's so bright and you can walk and you can see where to go. Right. And, you know, we that's a kind of a picture of us. We're to be a reflection of the sun of righteousness in our lives. Sometimes we're as not as bright as we should be. And we're like, oh, God, let me be a, sh a shining light to those who are in darkness. Work in me so that I can shine your glory and your beauty. But Moses, as our role model, for the church of the last days, he took it to a new level. He didn't shine like the moon. He shone like the sun. And he manifested the glory of God. And now I don't know if any of us have ever gone out to the moon and said, oh, that's so bright, I need to put my sunglasses on. But Moses, with Moses, that's what they did. Moses, you're too bright. We can't behold you. And that tells us that, that the church is is shining like the moon, but there will be a time when she will shine with the brightness of the sun, the sun of righteousness. Now this is said uh, of the Shulamite. She's the one in, in Song of Solomon, you know, who's a type of the church and the glorious bride. It says this in Song of Solomon 6.10. It says, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. You know, the church is beautiful and is showing the beauty of Christ, reflecting his beauty as the moon, but she's also bright as the sun. You know, speaking of the intensity of glory. And, and it's like Paul said, how much greater shall the ministry of the Spirit be? And there will be a time that will come when the church will shine the fullness of the glory of God and that brightness and, uh, and that it's going to be manifested and not just in one individual, but in many who have walked according to the pattern shown us in the life of Moses as our role model. You know, something else the Lord spoke to Pastor Bailey and he was sharing in this message. He, he said the Lord was saying, I want Moses, or the Lord was saying, I want a Moses company. I want a Moses company. He doesn't just want to raise up a Moses that the church is going to follow. 
He wants a company of Moses's, Moseses around the world. He wants many. He wants a company. I don't know how many are in a company. Maybe that depends on what army you're talking about. But a company can be a big group. He wants to raise up many who have followed the pattern of Moses and have walked in that way. But we have to consider with Moses is how was the glory developed? Right? What was, how was that pattern worked in his life and how did he become a vessel of that glory? Because we need to pay attention to the pattern if we want to walk in that and also be a vessel of glory. Well, if we look at the birth, right? we kind of looked at before the birth last time. Now we're looking at the birth. Right? He was born during one of the darkest times in Israel's history. They had a lot of dark times, but I, I think that everyone would agree this was probably one of the darkest because they were, um, it wasn't just a captivity, it was a national slavery. And he was born in a nation under bondage. And we're familiar with the story of Israel, you know, being in Egypt, that while Joseph was alive, they did well. They were they had it good, right? They had the best of the land before them. And you know, Joseph, they, they had him as the ruler under Pharaoh. But after Joseph, there came Pharaohs that didn't know him. And they became concerned with Israel and how fruitful they were becoming and didn't want them. You know, they recognized they're a powerful group in their midst. And of course, they didn't fit with the culture of Egypt, right? They didn't sync with that. They were different. They were set apart. So they afflicted them and put them into slavery. And, you know, Joseph knew that, and he experienced that, and now his children and his seed were going to know it. But from among them, another deliverer would be born, who would bring them out. No, and so it says this in, in Exodus 1.13, it says, So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field and all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And so there's that thought, you know, in, in following the pattern of Moses, God is not promising easy times, but there will be seasons. And, and I think that's how we can look at this. There will be seasons of rigor where something's being worked, where something's being developed because God never wastes anything, any situation, any season in our lives. You know, and, and I don't think you can easily put it into words, really. Uh, the effect that, that this has upon us, and not just as people, but as people of faith, going through times of great difficulty and rigor, through seasons where the bitterness can seem so intense and it seems like we're facing hard bondage in a difficult situation. And you know, hopefully it's not in the natural, right? Doing hard labor. Um, but, you know, it might not be a natural prison, but it could be a spiritual prison. Because of, it's, a, it's an affliction or it's a limitation or an intense trial. Or maybe we feel like we're being stretched much farther than our capacity would normally allow. Now, we don't know exactly what was taking place in, in the life of Moses as he was born into this time, 
But we can look to the one who came before him because we do have some indications for what was taking place in his life and in his heart. Because we've looked at Joseph in the past, right? And he went through some hard rigor in multiple seasons and different aspects where God was working at him in one aspect and then God totally shifted it to another aspect, equally difficult or maybe even a different, different level of difficulty. And you could say, you know, Joseph was the first fruits of Israel to pass through the season of bondage and it, it produced a deliverer in him. And, and how did that manifest in Joseph's life is in Psalm 105.18. It says, Joseph, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron till the time came that his word, or until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. It wasn't the jailer's or Potiphar that was trying him. It was the word of the Lord that was trying him. Until the king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. And all of that was to prepare him to be made lord of his house, ruler of all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure. Isn't that interesting how it brings that out? Where before he had to pass through seasons where he was under bondage and bound. But what did that produce? someone who could bind the princes of Egypt. And that speaks to us of, you know, as, as believers that God is calling us to bind spiritual princes and principalities, you know, that, that would oppose us from accomplishing the will of God. But all of those were, all of this was a preparation. Of course, you know, we bring out this phrase, Joseph was put into a prison experience and it says uh, he was laid in iron and the, the, what's interesting, you can kind of dig into some of the Hebrew meanings here. The Hebrew word for iron is based on a word that means to pierce through. And it carries the thought that iron pierced his soul and iron went, in, went within. And, and so that experience that, that God took Joseph through, it was terrible and it was difficult and he cried out to God. But as he did that, something entered in, it pierced him. And it entered within an iron, a strength from God, an ability, an enablement to be a deliverer for his people. And there will be times that as we follow God and as we're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow your pattern. Well, in blows a, se a new season. <laughs> and we say, Lord, I didn't think this was the season I was really asking for when I was praying Make me a servant. Because there are intense seasons. Right? Sometimes it's the, the cool winds and sometimes it's the bitter winds. And those intensities can fluctuate. But, but, you know, if we will set our face like a flint to meet the Lord in those seasons and to allow Him to work and, and come to trust and believe that He's doing something worthwhile in our hearts and he knows what he's doing and we're going to surrender to that and trust we're being pierced but it's with a preparation of iron and that iron will allow us to rule with him and isn't that what it says of those who rule and reign they'll rule with a rod of iron how was that iron put it in them well it there was a little piercing that took place but yet that produced a life that could rule and reign. 
you know, iron, there's a lot more we could say. It's actually kind of interesting to, to study iron and steel and how it's made today. Um, you know, modern technology, there's really a science behind it. It's become advanced, but modern steel, it can be taken, you know, many times through the, the forging and um, <clears throat> the tempering process and different alloys are added depending on the use for the iron and, and the steel um, are added into the mix and uh, to accomplish a specific purpose. But, but that's what God desires to do in us. He takes us through many varied situations and seasons and troublous times, but it's like he's, he's forming a specific alloy in our lives to be used as an instrument in his hand. And so God was working in Moses, he was working in Joseph, and he works in us. Now, we could also mention the genocide that took place uh, at the birth of Moses. It, you know, it's interesting how the enemy always seeks to destroy the deliverers, the one who God wants to use to bring deliverance to his people. It happened with Christ in the days of Herod. Uh, you know, it, and in fact, we, we know specifically this happens in the last days at least in a, in a certain form, because it, it's prophesied of the man-child, right? The man-child is going to be something that the church produces, a, you know, a, a, a group that are glorious. But what does Satan try to do? He tries to devour and destroy. But really what that's showing, that's showing us and what it means to us is there's a spirit of Antichrist out there today seeking to devour and to destroy those who God is desiring to raise up as deliverers, to follow him, to follow the pattern of Moses, right? The Antichrist is there to devour and to destroy. And so he will oppose us. We can expect opposition. But you know, though the enemy seeks to destroy the deliverers, you know, for those who walk in the pattern of Moses, he can't stop it. In fact, God's using that very enemy, you know, and his persecution to put iron in us and in his people. And he'll do that in us if we can meet God in that. Now, I wanted to run a little longer than I, my, my normal time, but I just wanted to look at, at two more thoughts before we close here. You know, at, at two events in Moses' life, in his early life, and, and really they were two great acts of faith. And they're manifested in, in the story of his life. And it doesn't just involve him, but his parents. And you know, I have great respect for the parents of Moses and for how they stood and the faith that they had in, in very dark times because they didn't obey the commandment of Pharaoh to destroy their, their son. You know, Hebrews has a very good description of, of Parents, Moses, Moses' parents and how they responded to that situation. Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. You know, by faith, Moses was hidden for a time. They were not afraid. They didn't do it out of fear. They did it out of faith. You know, and... Troublous times have come and they're coming and going to increase in the earth. And, and we have to make that determination. We're not going to respond out of fear. We're going to respond out of faith and trust the Lord. Now, they could have feared 
the commandment of Moses. That's a very natural reaction, but they made a choice to put their eyes upon the one who's truly in charge, which was the Lord. And that's how scripture records it. Now, maybe they were fearful in their hearts and worrying, how is this going to work out? But that's not how scripture records it. And I'm grateful for that. Sometimes the Lord records things with, with a much better lens than how we are going through it. And he's very gracious in doing that. Now, they didn't rebel. They didn't say, we're not going to submit to this evil dictator ruler. That's a temptation too, right? We're like, they're evil. We don't have to obey them. They didn't do that. They looked to God and said, Lord, we're going we're gonna to trust you. And that was an act of faith, not fear. One last point is there came a time of surrender, right? And a commitment of Moses into the will of God. In fact, you can make a very good case that they did obey Pharaoh, right? Because Pharaoh said, he commanded them, you're going to cast all of your sons into the river. Well, they did. They just didn't do it like Pharaoh was, think, had, had, he had in mind because they made a nice little basket and waterproofed it and gently laid him in the river and put him into the hands of God. And he floated down the river. Of course, he was also under the watchful eye of his big sister, right, watching him there. And in God's marvelous plan, Moses was taken out of the river by Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, he would have been, Pharaoh would have been horrified if he'd realized what his commandment would produce. And Moses ended up being raised in the courts of Pharaoh. But this can speak to us that at times in our journey of faith of the need to surrender to the river of God and yield. You know, we can relate this to Ezekiel. You know, Ezekiel had a vision of a river going out of the, the temple of God. This is fulfilled in the millennium, but it, it speaks to us as, as believers and as a church. And he saw this river and it started out the ankles and then it got deeper to the knees and then to the waist and finally... It was Ezekiel 47 and verse 5. It says, Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the waters had risen, and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And so there comes a time in following God when we have to commit ourselves to his river. And, you know, you can... You can Make your way in a river, depending on how strong the current is, but you can kind of keep afloat, you can keep your feet on the ground, and you can still control where you go. But as soon as your feet can no longer touch, you lose all control. And unless you get out of the river, the river is going to take you where it will. And that's the thing, is we have a choice. We can stay in the river and let God control us, or we can go back to the shallow, or we can get out. But the Moses, or at least those who follow the pattern of Moses, there comes a time when they have to surrender to that river. And the river determines where we go. We, or we have to surrender to that, that plan of faith and the working of God by faith. It's similar to Abraham, how he was told to, to sacrifice his son of promise. You know, Hebrews tells us he did it, and he didn't know what would happen, but he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. He just had a belief 
Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but even if I plunge my knife into Isaac, I believe you can raise him from the dead because he's the son of promise. He knew that somehow God would be able to turn it for good. And God would use this situation. You know, and these acts of faith, of being hidden in God and surrendering to his call and to the will of his river, they're all a preparation for what he has for us in this life and in eternity. Because Moses' real ministry, you know, it's what it, it, it is wonderful, and it will be wonderful because he also has a ministry to come. We'll probably mention that more in the last days. He has a ministry like the Lord's for three and a half years. He's going to minister in Jerusalem. But his greatest ministry is even after that, where he stands before the Lord of the whole earth for all eternity. But as wonderful as it is looking at Moses, it's awesome to think God is calling for a company of Moses to stand before him, to be used by him, to display the glory of God, to be bright lights in a dark world. But in doing so, we also realize God will lead us through some intense times. There will be some seasons where it seems like, Lord, this is rigorous. <laughs> Lord, there's some rigor going on. Lord, there's some straightness. There's some confinement. Lord, I'm being stretched. Lord, I'm even being pierced. But it's all to lay a foundation that he can work within us and put iron within us so that we can have some iron to rule with him. And as we surrender to his will and to his leading, he'll make us into that company of deliverers. And to be a church that is beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, and terrible and awesome, as it also says, as an army with banners. And Lord, we look to you that you would do that work within us. Lord, we want to follow, Lord, in the pattern that you've laid for us, for the church and for the church of the last days, because Lord, we know that you're calling those who will walk in the pattern of Moses, Lord, who will follow you, who will have that communion relationship with you, Lord, who allow you to work in their lives and Lord, even take through difficulties and surrender to your river. Oh God, we just cry out to you that you would do that work within us. Lord, make us, Lord, a Moses company. Lord, that will follow you and will accomplish your will. Lord, that we could stand with you in our appointed place for all eternity. And we thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.